Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Gypsy Jazz Hangouts podcast. My name is Cornelius, and this is episode 15 featuring Stefan Remble. So, we give uh, old Stefan a call on the Zoom, and uh, wow, what an interesting guy. Stefan is obviously quite famous for his work on the uh, Woody Allen movies, where he provides the soundtrack and introduces a lot of people to Gypsy Jazz. But we don't talk about any of that. We talk about philosophy, religion, Nietzsche, uh, all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, the music industry, black magic, you know, all sorts of the Bible. Talk about so much cool stuff, which I really didn't expect. Uh, super interesting guy and a super nice bloke as well. Uh, you should really check out what he's up to because he's a fantastic musician, really cool guy, really interesting fella. Uh, it was great to talk to him. We were joined by my good friend Andrea Vagani. Uh, and yeah, really, really fun podcast, man. I really enjoyed recording this one, uh, and I really hope you enjoy it too. If you do enjoy it, share it with your pals. We've got Facebook, we're on Instagram, we've got a YouTube channel where we've got these are all filmed on the podcast, and we've got guitar lessons. Andre does a few lessons in there, I do a few lessons. So if you want to learn about Django Reinhardt, uh, check out the YouTube channel. But until then, enjoy the rest of the podcast. Cheers. So, thanks for tuning in, everybody. It's Gypsy Jazz Hangouts. And uh, we've got special guest, Stefan Remble. How are you doing, mate? Hey, I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. And uh, joining us is uh, uh, my good friend, Andre Vagani. Doing all right, mate? Yeah, all good, good. Always good to be back here, actually. <laughs> yeah, happy days, happy days. Yeah. So let's cut to the chase, because I know we've got a bit of tight schedule. So, uh, Stefan, uh, you've got a good old French accent there. You're actually born in Fontainebleau, is that right? I was born in Paris and raised near Fontainebleau, yeah. And of course, Fontainebleau is uh, just near Samoa, where the great man Django is, is buried. And before you started out on piano before you played guitar, is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, And then you got into guitar like in your, your teens, I guess, there or thereabouts. So when I was four years old, uh, my mom put me to take piano lessons with a lady named uh, Gilberte Lecomte. Mm-hmm. Mademoiselle Lecomte, we call her. And, uh, oh, hold on. Hold on, everybody. I have a dehumidifier on because we had the storm and there was some water. Oh, no. No, there is a dehumidifier, but I just turned it off. It's very, very loud. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, when I was four years old, my mom uh, took me to take lessons with Mademoiselle Lecomte. She was very famous piano teacher in my area when I was a kid. She took lessons from her and all. And uh, Mademoiselle Lecomte was part of the Nadia Boulanger circle. You know, she was the accompanist for the singers and the dancers at the, the Paris Conservatory, meaning uh, she could sight read anything on tempo, like wow. Chopin, Scherzo, whatever. She could sight read anything on tempo and she could transpose anything on tempo while sight reading any key. She could read wow. scores and stuff. She was one of those, you know. She's like the opposite of a guitar player. She can sight read. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it, it was interesting because I grew up in that presence, you know. And she had a, an old apartment, um, like old school apartment with like you know pianos everywhere in there, and the view on the sh- on the castle in Fontainebleau. So there was a certain vibe, very very classical, you know. That was very appropriate for Ravel for. Uh, Chopin for Mozart and all that. Very, very classical. But, but despite all that, you ended up going down a, a rock route for a while and then into jazz eventually? Yeah, you know, she she was born in 1900 or 1895 or something like that, you know. So she came from a different time period 
and I was born in 74. So when I started going like late 70s, it was 70s world, you know, with the police, Pink Floyd and all that stuff. So that's also what I what I knew, what I what I grew up with. Mm. So and I always had a connection with the guitar. I never really had much of a connection with the piano, a little bit, but not the same. You know, mm. it was never the same. Um, and the connection with the guitar is way deeper. It's way more natural for me. So mm, when I was 15, I started the guitar and I took that that journey. And, you know, so I've read that, you know, you don't like your music to be pigeonholed with a certain genre, label, you know, gypsy jazz, whatever. You've got all these different influences. You're obviously really into the classical stuff. Obviously, you're into all the rock stuff as well. But your career is is very much kind of... I mean, Django centric, you know, you're known as a Django Reinhardt style guitar player. Uh, why Django? Out of all these different musics that you could explore and, and discover and express yourself, why was it Django was the one that you kind of pursued most? This is completely irrational. Yeah. yeah. Uh, tell me more. When, when, you, when you get, you hear something like Django and you dive into it, this is irrational. You do it because it triggers something in you. So you know that you can feel something in it. I don't know. It's not rational. You, you, you don't choose it. It chooses you, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. And you're right. I despise uh, any labels mm. of genre because it, this is a marketing invention. Mm. You know, uh, marketing is black magic practice. It's a, it's a repetition of a message in the subconscious. Mm. Essentially, if you if you read the, um, the book of Genesis, this is what the snake does to convince uh, the creature Adam Eve to eat the fruit yeah. of the tree. It's propaganda, marketing. That's exactly, you can see the technique in two seconds. There really is like two lines of the snake talking to Eve, the subconscious part of that being. Mm. And uh, the way it convinces that being to eat the fruit is exactly uh, is exactly like propaganda uh, marketing campaign, and this is exactly what the the recording industry has been doing. So there's a real diametrically opposed thing between, say, the artist, for want of a better word, and the people, as you say, the marketing, the whatever. You think that they're corrosive to one another. Is is that the way you see it? I think, like metaphysically, right now. It's a weird place because the, the recording, recording, I'm not sure is a good thing for us. Um, recording, you mean like releasing music or just recording for any yeah, purpose? Or, recording or music. I'm even wondering if like reading and writing is a good thing for us. Hmm. Um, you see, what I discovered in my journey with Django, I went the opposite way of the modern world. I tried to simplify it. And I think I found, I, I'm right there. I found a very simple system. Meaning you have some very strong poles, for example, for harmony. You know, you have very strong poles that are planted with a lot of space in between. And in that space, in that space, the poles are bare. It's like basic harmony, first degree, like a you have a chord and you have like an inversion from the root, from the third, from the fifth. It's very bare, you know? Right. How you connect these things, how you move these things. It's just I'm going back to the rules of harmony, really. Mm. 
but through Django, through our, you can see it on the guitar. And then in between, you have all that space. So what do you do with that space? That's really where there is like metaphysics going on here. So I think in my understanding of, in my vision of the world, intelligence is connecting the dots. You have informations, and it's what you do to connect this information. It's not the information itself. And, and, and Django and the music of Django is particularly good in this respect? Extremely intelligent. Yeah. Django was extremely intelligent. He really knew how to connect all that, you know. Um, and the Django had like very, he knew those, that very basic and fundamental harmony. And he was cruising within it with music, you know. Mm. So um, what do you do with that space? You can pack it with information, which is memory, really. Or you can pack it with intelligence. Mm. Have you, you got see? any examples of uh, somebody packing that with information in a way that really turns you off you think ah no this is no good oh yeah the whole world is like that right now yeah. the whole school system um like music schools for example like they become an abomination hmm. they just like oh the whole the whole thing for example with mode is an it's an aberration it's it shouldn't be the whole thing about dorian fridge all that crap this is useless. Well, funny <laughs> this enough, is no good for anyone. Funny enough, I can't remember. It's, I was probably talking to you about it, Andrea, or somebody recently, and I was talking about um, if ever I'm having to teach a student, and I, I get students who are guitar players who are kind of competent. They know a pentatonic scale, they know a bit of rock, and they want to learn jazz improvisation. And they always say to me, "Oh, uh, what scales do I need to use on this chord or something?" And for me, and this is just what worked for me, I found the scales weren't really very good because they didn't explain to you kind of the hierarchy of notes and i suppose yeah. maybe what you'd say what's closer to those those poles for me learning the arpeggio uh tells you which notes are kind of closer to that harmony and immediately you can be musical because you understand which notes are stronger and weaker than others say i've never been a fan of teaching oh because i you know you get the real books and like if you bought the, uh, the old real books and there's a big index at the back and it'll say major seven chord and explain what modes you can play and i was like oh brilliant oh, it says here lydian brilliant and so i got a lydian mode and just went up and down and it just sounded kind of crap to be honest you know it just it wasn't working for me yeah it's quite interesting um like actually when you guys were talking about this stuff i i remembered for for, for a moment how music used to feel to me when I was just, you know, uh, young, just a teenager playing. And back then, all I was doing was just listen to music, copying, and then just trying to come up with my own stuff. So the, it was just a process where I was just listening and there weren't too many rules. While these days, um, and to me happened when I started trying to learn jazz, music became like something that, you know, there are keys to music, there are things you need to know. You need to know all of your scales and arpeggio and the modes. And, and once you will know those things, you'll be able to produce music. So, mm. you know, since the music education to me seemed like that all those mysterious dots, they've been connected by someone else for me. And the day I, was, I could have been able to play those connected dots, I would have become a musician, but it's never like that. Mm. There's no mystery. And, um, and I miss that kind of, uh, yes, spontaneous joy of playing music. So you're, you're saying that 
over-educating and maybe writing yeah. things down and reading them is spoiling the, the mystical element of music. In a sense. I mean, obviously, there are elements of music that, that are just there, the stuff you need to know and get under your fingers. Mm. But I think that there's no, like, given keys to being able to play music. I mean, what does it even mean playing music mm. or playing a melody? Something that in my lessons with Stefan, we came up, like, what, what's a melody, right? Is, is this what you guys do in your lessons? You just talk about the book of Genesis and, uh, and you know, Satan and things like this? Or... <laughs> Only Satan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you, you say that, you know, music education, you're not into it. But, you know, do you not think it does produce, like, competent musicians? I mean, surely some of the kids coming out of Berkeley think, hey, he's a pretty good guitar player or she's a pretty good whatever player, surely. Uh, okay, so now you're talking about education. It's a big word. To me, education is tied to intelligence, while instruction is tied to is tied to information. Right. So what's done in school is instruction. It's not education. Okay. It's it's. I'll show you how you do this. Just repeat after me. It's not you just good. you just you just give information. But the problem is because there is no education. You cannot teach someone, there is no one size fit all. It's not possible. You cannot have a 12 week program or 15 week program with this and this and this and this and this and that for everyone the same and hope for anything to happen because you need to develop your muscle memory. You need to practice. It take, all that thing takes time. And some people are very quick with the technique. Some people are very slow with the technique. Some people are slow with the harmony or quick with the harmony. Some people have reason. For, like everyone has different problems. Everyone has different uh, sensitivity. Everyone is completely different. So mm. that one size fit all thing is completely crazy. Mm. But the school uh, is good to teach the grammar of music. For example, um, mm. you teach harmony, you teach rhythm. That This is teachable, but that should be taught you see, the problem is when you start to have too, too much of a rigid program, why, why do you have a rigid program with weeks? And everything is ensnared in time. You know what I mean? Everything is under the control of Kronos, hmm. of Saturn, you know, of time. It, and, and it's like, okay, you have 15 weeks. Okay, you have like five classes of 70 minutes each and you go from eight to nine and you... It's like, this is not how art works, man. This is not mm. how music works. You can't regiment it like you would regiment a factory or, a, or an army or something. No, it's an, it's an everyday, it's a, it's a way of life. You wake up, you're already in it. You go to sleep, you're still in it. You dream, you're still in it. Your whole being is in it. From birth to death, you are bathing in it. And that's all that matters because that's what haunts you. Some people are not haunted by art at all. They're haunted by something else. That's their thing. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. everyone is haunted by a different thing. Mm. But as an artist, you're haunted by something. And you're haunted by... it's. If anything, it's very Jungian, you know, to, to, to take a shortcut. But you're haunted by mythology, by images, by, by everything. Very primal uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. human being you know from primal tribes that's what haunts us you know and by a feeling of the world like a, a world that is beyond the, the appearance mm. you know you can feel something like the world of dreams you know like all that is pervading and 
So when you're an artist, you go for that. And when someone comes with like rigid society rules, you tell them to screw themselves because you're an artist. You're not here to comply and be polite to the system. If the system does something that you like, you say, hey, I like that. If it does something that you like, you say, screw you. You know? so, so so tell me this then um you're you're a musician you're an artist and you're all, you're a working musician as well how do you find the balance then between uh chasing you know what haunts you as you say and paying the bills through playing guitar you know it comes to me yeah yeah if you follow your path if you follow what you're for with faith you have to it's a leap of faith it's not science you know life is an act of faith you know, you, you make decision based on hope, you know, like you're like, mm. all right, I'm just going to, you know, I really like that. When I decided to be a musician, I went to the, at first university to become maybe a music teacher trying to plan something. It didn't work so well. After a month, I was like, I just can't do that. I want to be a musician. Mm. I want to play guitar. I had no idea what the world is like, like what it is to go on tour, what anything. I had no idea about anything, mm. but I took a leap of faith and I did it and it worked. Because you need to plunge in it and you need to learn. You need to do it. Yeah, you, you jump in the deep end and you learn as you go along, I suppose. Exactly. And then you realize that if you follow, you have, you have to follow what haunts you. If it haunts you, there is a reason why it haunts you. Mm. So you follow it and then you start to feel very at one with it. You start mm. to feeling like at one with it. And once you are at one with it and you follow what you're supposed to do, the things come to you. You don't have to worry about it. It will be, it's provided. Um, so out of interest, obviously music is a big haunt of yours. Were there any other things in life that haunted you that you couldn't um, chase after because you were pursuing the music so hard? Or was it a trade-off or was it just the music? Um, no, I, I do whatever I want. Mm, handy, yeah. You know? <laughs> Always with the respect of uh, the others. Yeah. Always yeah, yeah. make time for the others. And always like, I'm very, for example, uh, when we go to play a show, I'm always respectful to the promoter, to the crowd. So I'm respectful of these things that I not, my, like the time thing, for example. I try to be there on time, play the show on time. We, all, we have our equipment, we are prepared. We're polite, like we, we're, we're all that. We're respectful too, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, you, I you're that. sharing this with everyone else, you know what I mean? So Exactly. So there is, of course, we're not alone. So there is a respect for the other in that, in that sense, you know? Mm. But I still go and I do whatever I want. Mm. And it, it works. Handy enough, yeah, absolutely. And, and so it was always music then. There wasn't a time, because I mean, like, you know... I, 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 I like music. There's lots of things uh, I like as well. And maybe I think, oh, maybe I'd love to pursue that instead of the music or whatever. Was there anything else in life you th that you thought, I wish I could give more time to pursue that haunt, as you say? I'm doing them. Yeah? I, I'm, I'm into painting. So I have like a couple of things here. And uh, I'm getting ready as the kids are going back to school. <laughs> Yeah, I have like a paint, a big painting I need to do. Like I have it in my head, so I'm 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 on that. I read a lot of philosophy, mm. and I love psychology. Yeah. So psychology, you see, it's always psychology. I studied on my own. Yeah, just reading books read, and uh, yeah, I'm following like uh, 
I'm, I'm of course I'm more attached to the Jungian uh, aspect of things, you know, than Adler or, or Freud. But so I read a lot of Carl Jung and Marie-Louise von Franz and all that, you know. And I'm, 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 when I when I study, I study that. I studied morphopsychology. Yeah. I study uh, things like that. So I. Do you you don't need a school. You don't. You do not need a school for that. Mm. Yeah. You know, I don't want to become a professional psychologist. Mm. You know, for some people, it's what they are haunted for. You know, like they are haunted to become a psychologist. Mm. I'm not haunted to be a psychologist. I'm haunted also by psychology to understand the world. Except my psychology goes into music. I was going to say, do you find learning about all these other things? Uh, equips you more to do your music? Does it bring a lot to, to, your, to your musical adventures? Yeah, but not in terms of like which chord I'm going to choose. It's not, that's not like no, that. No, 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 no. But... Music is just, a, a, in the end, it's expression. Hmm. So we don't really know what music is, to be honest, you know. You don't know. You don't know what anything is. You know, that's why it's important to read uh, philosophy. If you read uh, Schopenhauer, he really points on that. You see, for example, what you see, what you see, your brain, okay, is the, um, is the filter for all the experiences with the outer world, for your five senses. So it all filters through the brain. I'm not saying that the consciousness, consciousness is born from the brain. I'm just saying it, it filters everything in the senses, sure, like the sure. center of control, okay? And your brain is in a is in your skull, it's in a black box. Your brain, like you think you see light, but you never, your brain never see light. Your brain, it's in, a, it's in a black box. So what happened, you have like the photons hitting your retina and it becomes an electric impulsion that becomes an, a, a chemical reaction in your brain that's, transmit, that's translated as an image, okay? And so the image, so first I remember on my biology classes, they said the image is reversed in the brain. I was like, really? So there's some kind of a screen somewhere? What is that? So that's, that they can't really explain. And then not only that, but who is watching? Hmm. The big question, who's watching that screen? So first, uh, it's all a bunch of like photons hitting the eye, creating chemical reaction, and then you see. So you think that what you see is real, but what you see is just in your head. It's just your, your visual center creating an experience. So this is really an experience. Is this experience real? Is, it, is what we see really like what we see? Or is it really like only what we can perceive through the photons and our like chemical reactions? Hmm. Um, and also, not only that, but it, are two people seeing the same thing? Hmm. You know, you can say that something is red because there is a spectrum, okay, of red. You're like, this is red. The other person is going to say is red. But why do we know what it represents for that person? Well, it's, it reminds me a little bit of that thing that went around the internet a few years ago of a dress, and half the population seemed to think it was blue, and the other half thought it was gold. Do you remember that? Mm. It was it was the same picture, but weirdly, some people would see it as a blue dress, and some people would see it as a completely different color, actually, which is kind huh. of weird. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. 
And th there was another one as well with a, a sound. Uh, it, was a, it was somebody talking and everybody, th some people thought it said Laurel and some people thought it said Yanni. Do you remember that? It's like a few years ago. Anyway. I don't remember, but yeah. yeah. So th there is a big saying, if a tree falls in the forest and there is no one to hear it, does it make a noise? Mm. No, it doesn't. It generates an airwave. And if someone is around, like that, that airwave is going to create a sound because the sound is in your head. The yeah. sound is not outside. Outside yeah. is just air moving. There is no sound. Sound is a human experience or an animal experience, you know? So it's all flickering. You know, it's, it's not it's not solid it's just yeah, an illusion yeah, yeah. we we are in that we are constructing like a dream we are constructing things of uh, uh, around us from that who knows what's real what's not you know really mm -hmm. cartesian uh, skepticism i suppose i don't know you just if you think about the experience itself mm -hmm. you know without naming things like that without finding falling into genres but just like again it's the experience Totally. It's the same problem in philosophy, you know. You have like categories, this guy is here, this guy is here. It's like in music general. There is no such thing. Mm. It's just common sense and like you have common sense or people who point toward um, something like, uh, like Schopenhauer. Schopenhauer is the one who really points toward the experience like that. Like mm. is what we see real or not. That's, he starts his book, uh, The World is My Representation. That's his first phrase of the world as will and representation yeah. the world is my representation and he said a man who has wisdom he knows that what he touches is not the earth but a representation in within himself of the earth that's not the sun that he sees but a representation of the sun in his own eye mm. so he doesn't you don't really know the essence of the object but you just get a representation that's created within you and who knows what the other is is experiencing it's just a completely different thing so we live in that world of, uh, it's really a world of mirage. It's a world of dreams. It's a world of, it's, it's like a fog, you know, it's not real. Mm. You know, what we think is real is actually just a representation. Sure, you can sure. say, yeah, but science, you know, we have a telescope, we observe stars. Yeah, but you're still in an eye and you're still a human being to observe it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, this is so, true. So... It just doesn't matter. It's still the same thing. We're at the same point, you know. Mm. Uh, well, and, and it's all it's all colors. It's all alive. It's all an experience. And this experience is not bound by space and time. If you look at the experience of colors and objects and art that is like surrounding you, everything is art. An apartment is art. And a house is art. Everything is art. Everything is shapes and colors and and light and as that it, it's in your head because you produce it in your head mm. if you can meditate on that and become conscious of it constantly or as constantly as possible then everything that comes to your field has that that aura that haze that impressionistic you know where that impressionistic feeling about everything you know mm. that dream feeling about everything and then you're really like walking in art constantly and this is experience. There is no, it's just a total complete experience that has no, that is not bound by time and space. It's just the experience itself. Hmm. It's above that. That's why 
in the beginning of the Genesis, it says uh, when God creates the creature Adam Eve, because it's only one creature, it's not a man and a woman. That's like an inversion of what really happens in the book, you know, it's a bad translation. Um, it's one creature that has like um, a body and a subconscious, really. And um, God tells it, eat at the tree of life. Do not eat at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So eat at the tree of life. Don't eat at the tree of moral. Okay, that's like the message. Then you read Nietzsche. So supposedly Nietzsche, everyone's like, ah, Nietzsche is like the opposite of everything. You know, it's the enemy of religion and stuff. No, mm. Nietzsche is the enemy of the priests. Mm. Nietzsche is the enemy of the corporations. Mm. Mm. Nietzsche tells you, say yes to life, the great yes to life. And he says, don't eat at the tree of more. He says the same thing. He says, he says, eat at the tree of life. Do not eat at the tree of moral, mm. you know? Yeah. And uh, the tree of moral is not the tree of um, respecting others. It's not what, what moral means. The moral is the source of resentment, meaning blaming the other for one's own uh, in success and failures in life. Why? It's just like a, a, ma a mind game, you know, when you don't see it. Is that, is that all moral judgments? What's up? Does, is that counting for all moral judgments? You say morality yes, is just there is like, somebody else for whatever. Like Yeah, because there's a misconception between inner compassion toward the other, like the things that we do normally, which is just, they are just normal. Mm. And they take, they, Nietzsche explains that a, a lot, you know, it's been taken over by the priest with a big P, you know, that can, it's multiform, you know, it can be a politician, it can be a priest, it can be like on any level, you know, like religious, political, whatever, you know, it's been taken over like in every part of the society, you know, mm. and that moral is based on resentment. It's like blaming the other for your own failures and in, in, in success. You know? do, do, do you think there's um, in music, in music um, communities, culture, there's a kind of uh, an element of that. Sometimes you come across that a kind of weird. Absolutely. Yeah. Because once you start naming something, you create a cult. Hmm. When you start saying gypsy jazz, you've created a cult hmm. instead of just playing the music. Because it doesn't exist. Fundamentally, if you listen to Django Reinhardt and Billy Lagrain and Angelo De Bar, you have three completely different musicians. Is, 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 is there a, a difference in a cult and a community? Could, could a name just be a handy, handy banner that people recognize each other and come together into one common interest? Yeah, but it, you see that always turn into... Always? Politically correct. This is... This is how you do, this is how you not do, this is in here, this is not that. You don't do that in gypsy jazz. This guy is here in gypsy jazz. This guy is there in gypsy jazz. Everyone copying the same new leak. You see, this is the death of music. All that is like, it's rotten from the beginning. The reality is there is music. We don't know what it is. It's an experience. If you can explain to me what music is, uh, I don't know. But I have no idea what music is. Why do humans crave music? Uh, just another interesting thing as well, because you're absolutely right. As soon as you create a category, well, by definition, there are things that it is and things that it isn't uh, within the definition of that. And that can lead to orthodoxy and the concept of heresy and things like that. 
Um, but it's also, it's quite handy. Like, you know, there's no doubt that um, for me to discover more of the music of Django Reinhardt and the people that followed him, those categories were really helpful for me to locate these things. And if I want to go to a jam session where people are playing Django Reinhardt tunes, I look out for the one that says Gypsy Jazz. If it had no names, I'd be wandering out a long time. And as a result, I've, 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 I've yielded a lot. I've learned a lot. And of course, it has that tendency to become, as you say, there's heresy. You can't do this in Gypsy Jazz or whatever. But surely there is some, some benefit in an early community kind of stage to, to these kind of labels. It's like a road sign. If I want to get to, if I want to get to somewhere, it's handy that there's a sign that says this is the way to get there, you know? Yeah, but now you're plunging into exactly what this, this is what I oppose. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more. We okay, Saint Augustine said we are in this world, but we are not from this world. Right. So although we are from a different place, we also need to deal with this world. Hmm. Which is I'm trying to do deal with this world the way it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. in my analysis of things, recording has been uh, a great misery for us. Actually, Plato, like Socrates, warned us against it. He refused to write down one line. He said, things should remain oral and who, alive. Who was who that? Sorry, I missed that. Who was that? Socrates. Socrates, yeah. Then his student, his pupil, Plato, wrote many books. There is like, 43, 43 books attributed to him. There's probably like 30 or 35. Uh, a few of them are, uh, obviously, when you read them, you know they are probably from his students or something. They're not of the same factual, you know? So you read Plato, and in Plato, even as he wrote down everything, he did the opposite of Socrates. In Phaedra, he warns us with the myth of thought. Thoth is the god, the Egyptian god who created writing. And Thoth go to see the king Ammon and he say, look, I invented writing. It's going to be a great thing for humans. They're going to be able to write down their memories and stuff. And they're going to be able to keep the information and keep evolving. And Ammon says, ah, Thoth, you, your intentions are great because you're a god and you're like, you have great intentions for the others. Say, but I'm afraid it's going to have the contrary effect. You're going to have like the information is going to be floating and people more and more, instead of turning toward themselves, within themselves to find it and uh, leave that information again, they will just accumulate information and walk in the street thinking they are very knowledgeable while they really don't know anything. They just have memorized information that don't, don't come from them and it's going to be the death of them. So he warns us already of the danger of writing. He's writing, and he warns us, what I write is dangerous. It's dangerous already. Yeah, I mean, I, and, I suppose it, it's just a case of, it, it, you know, it's not quite such an absolute. I mean, I see a lot of books behind you, and surely these books helped you yeah. learn an experience, and then you can discard the information. We are not from this world. We are in this world. So now the... Which, indeed, the we are in it. The yeah. recording process, the recording process. Imagine Django was born in 1910. There's no radio, there's no recording. Maybe for a few rich people, there are some things that happen. Like, there's no radio. Radio, I think, is more like the 20s, the 30s or something. I think it comes a bit later. And the same thing, the recording is at the very, very, very beginning. So 
at the time of Django, you want to hear music or Segovia, what happened? You have the music that's played in front of you from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's gone. Never comes back. Mm-hmm. So the problem with recording is we create those indestructible archetypal figures, these mm-hmm. gods that we cannot get rid of. So for example, you have a figure like Jimi Hendrix, like you play guitar. No matter what you do, you're compared to Hendrix, Django, all that, because they're there constantly. Not only that, but more and more people don't need, uh, you don't need more of the same thing because you already have some people have already laid out in their time period. Um, I was listening to uh, some prelude of Chopin, no, some uh, Nocturnes of Chopin the other day by uh, uh, a new guy. I got a, a notification on Adagio. Was this, was this a recording or was this yeah, a Yeah, so there's an Adagio. It's an app of only classical music. And if you like classical music, Adagio. It's amazing. I love it. So I get a notification from Adagio that is those Nocturnes from that young guy. I'm just like, all right, let's listen to it, you know? Because I love the Chopin Nocturne. So I play it and I'm just like, another one of these versions, I can't take it anymore, you know? I already know like Horowitz and Martha Geritz and uh, Alfred Corto and uh, De Grote. Like there's like a lot of people that I already listen to Sanson Francois playing this thing. I don't need more of that. It's already been done. And that's the problem with recording. Because now if the recording doesn't exist, in order to hear the, the, the nocturnes of Chopin, you need to go somewhere and listen to someone play it, or you need to play it yourself. That's the only way you experience music. I suppose one of the handy things about recordings is that I don't have to listen to them if I don't want to. Um, just like if I, I, you and me, Andre, recorded um, uh, Flesh Door by Django a few weeks ago. There's probably somebody who listens to that thing. Oh, God, another one of these. Jesus, it's killing me, man. But he doesn't have to listen to it if he doesn't want to. But of course, there would have been a time where if Django performed that and I grew up in Yorkshire, I'd never, I'd never be able to hear it ever in my whole lifetime. Yeah, I wouldn't have that's a, chance a great to hear thing. It. But, but is, is that is that a great thing that I, I wouldn't have been able to hear Django Reinhardt? Or, you know, yes, because if you if you don't record things and they get lost in in uh, space and time like that, that gives you the whole space to recreate it. Yeah. So you can completely recreate it. Yeah. Get recreated and remixed, and they are alive. <laughs> if you if you put it in a box and that's it, this is how it is. You just killed it. But this kind of discussion but, but, reminds me. Oh, sorry. Of something that I that I watched on the internet the other day. It was a discussion between. Uh, do you know Rick Beato, the guy from America? Anyway, yeah. uh, experienced like music producer, musician, teacher. Used to be a professor as well. And in a chat with other guitarists, they said. These days, I don't know how true can be, but I think it's related to what we're discussing. These days, drummers tend to be extremely mechanically, or at least drummers from a certain genre. These guys play some crazy prog math rock. So because of the way we record music and we quantize everything, so these new guys, these new young drummers, they play in a very sterile way, way, super precise. They copy a certain sounds and there's not much variety. And it's because of the, the way we record stuff and the way we keep on presenting the same sound as we can work it out on our laptops from home. From home, So I can see how you can miss a lot of um, creativity, originality. Uh, partially all this talk reminds me of how having all the music of the words on Spotify, it doesn't help you actually to 
learn music. Like I remember when I was growing up, learning music was just finding a couple of CDs uh, or tapes even, and then just listen to those albums for hours and hours and hours, and then going to live, you know, live live events. And uh, yeah, you didn't get all these labels on your back, in your ears, and in your education. And uh, there was more freedom, I would say. Well, there's there's no doubt that um, obviously these are negative things to having lots of music recorded. But you talk about freedom. You yeah. know, when, when Django first listened to Dizzy Gillespie on a recording, he didn't, you know, that's how he managed to hear it. It gave him a great deal of freedom to learn a bit of that vocabulary and express sides of him that he wouldn't have been able to express otherwise. In fact, it gave him more freedom than less. Would, would you not say? Okay, I have something to say about yeah, that. Yeah. Number one, Django learned jazz uh, right after the First World War with the musicians coming to, to Europe. As well as, learning from, as well as learning from records. He loved, uh, he loved hearing Louis Armstrong, but he, he, Louis Armstrong came to Paris too. He could have heard like Louis Armstrong back then. So yeah. he doesn't change anything. But he, no, but he did learn from records that he wouldn't have been He was 25 years old already. Yeah. When you heard, uh, um, you heard um, uh, Louis Armstrong for the first time. So it doesn't really, he was already on the verge of recording. We're talking about 1934. So it, it doesn't, it's not, didn't create Django. And, no, 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 not great, but it, 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 it helped him. So it surely helped him develop as an artist. That go back to what I was saying, that if you have space and you have some strong poles and you pack that space with information, there is no space for anymore for intelligence. It's a very, it's a very hard. Maybe, maybe there's more space in between those poles than you think. That's... If there is the pole and there is the space and you fill it with intelligence or you fill it... But you could surely never fill the space between those poles. Surely this music is yes. almost infinite. Yes, because you have the poles, yeah. which are the same for everyone. Are they? The and poles are the same for everyone? In between, in between the poles, yes. For example, if you take an A minor, A, C, E, and you play it uh, from the third, it's called a 16 version, you have C, E, A, or you play it from the fifth, which is called the six-four inversion. So it's E A C. So it's, it's the same for everyone. It's not that's like color. Reason. It's not like color. Because earlier on, color rule, is that's different. A of, that's a rule of harmony. Yeah. I get, it. I get it. You see, you have like three inversion of a chord. Then you have the next chord, which also have three inversions. And by combining them from their bass or the melody, you start to hear things. See. I, I do agree with this, but obviously this goes different. But, but this goes different to the idea that we're all different and we experience everything differently. And one person sees a red and the other person sees a different red and that kind of thing. So once you have that, then because you have space, every you play those things, everyone is going to play this thing and come up with something different. That's that's something different that matters. That's the space between those balls. See, one thing I would say as well is um Everything, everybody coming up with something different is true. Although I would say, really, if we weren't able to listen to some new development of music from somewhere else in the world via recording, we'd actually maybe all start sounding kind of similar because we'd struggle to um, find those spaces in between those poles. So, you know, um, there's no doubt that I personally developed more as a musician because I've listened to recordings of other things that I wouldn't have been able to hear live. 
And if I hadn't had that inspiration and discovered some of that and maybe taken a bit of that and then gone off on my own way, not, not putting information there, but coming up with my own thing, I may have just been struggling to get further than, than, than I would without it. Do, do you see what I mean? I mean, surely that's a, a positive benefit of, of things being recorded and, and, and I'll be mass produced and Adagio app, as you say, you can, you know, if I'd never heard Chopin, I could listen to that on, the, on there. Maybe I'd write a brand new piece of music from that. Do, do you see what I mean? Yeah. So I remember what I just said before, we are in this world, but we're not from this world. Okay. So we okay. deal with whatever is at that moment. Now, you see, you see, I will tell you the same thing that Amon said to Todd. You seem to think it's an advantage, but in reality, you put your memory in something external. It doesn't come from you. You are beyond genre. There is no genre. You're sure, beyond yeah, yeah, all yeah, that. I, I can and that, yeah. by, by collecting information from all over the place, we are like in the illusion that everything is from outside, where everything is within. Um, I, yeah, and, I, that still seemed congruent to... I mean, you've listened to music and it's had an influence on you, surely. You've listened to recordings and it's made you discover something from within yourself. It's unlocked a little bit of you, maybe, or it's contributed to that, perhaps. Or is that completely so not possible? Imagine you're like in the time of Django Reinhardt and all you can hear is music that's played around you. Yeah. So if you want to, if for example, uh, you go to a park and you listen to Prelude to the Afternoon of a Phone. That's what he said, like the experience for him. Or for Grappelli, he was saying how it was a deep experience for him to hear Debussy played in a park, you know. Mm. Or Debussy going to the World Exposition and going to hear the gamelan and hearing all these new ways of organizing sound and help him like with his orchestration. Yeah, and, yeah, you know. yeah. Imagine now that guy, that's all he can hear. He goes and he knows it's played live once. Imagine how active he is within himself. I like understand that, I understand that, yeah. His mind is very active and how he's able to capture information and his, his way to do memory and to turn in cell within yeah. in world and do things with it. Scarce, uh, a live performance that's scarce is much more potent than mass produced recorded music. I, I get that, yeah. If it's all you have, your level of concentration has to be way higher. I am not sure, you know, concentration, which is also meditation, it's all, it's all the same thing. This is all the same area. Concentration you need very strongly for music. You need concentration, you need memory, but not memory, outside memory. You need to turn inward and find within yourself. Mm. So uh, I am not sure that nowadays our level of concentration, at least for what I see around me, is better. I, think I fully agree, fully agree. Yeah. It's being destroyed by an overload of information. Instead of having space, you see, when you don't have information, you're there. And you have to do something. You don't have games. You don't have anything. Like you need to do something with yourself as a human being. You turn inward and you start producing something. Mm -hmm. And you start to concentrate. The ability to concentrate has been lost. This is, uh, um, I joined uh, Andrea in what he said before, when he said that uh, when he was younger, he was listening to albums and stuff. Me too. You too, probably, you know. Like who sits down and listens to a record right now? Yeah. You know, you put a whole vinyl and you listen to it from beginning to end. You know how many times I listen to Pink Floyd albums from beginning to end or like The Cure or something? Mm. We listen to the album from beginning in order because 
you put the needle and you wait, you know, and you listen to the whole thing. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I'm not big time. So, so because we benefited from like a previous uh, momentum of concentration. So there is definitely when you are in a world of, of symbolic objects around you and you're connected to your inner being, to your dreams, to all that, you have a different perception of the world. I imagine totally WC in his apartment back then in like 1900, you know, with maybe the old grandpa clock somewhere and objects that have like very powerful symbols. I don't know, like I cannot explain, but like a little, maybe a little devilish cup or something. <laughs> they come from the Anderson, um, Anderson fairy tales and stuff like that, you know? So that was like the environment. Mm. And that had like a power, you know, those old objects and stuff, they were like, they were symbolically powerful, you know? Mm. Mm. And that must have been a very different experience of the world. And I think that once you start to take everything and blend it together, you end up with a very shallow and everything the same sounding. It's very much pros and cons, I think, for sure. But um, so, so tell me this then, because of course, you live in New Jersey, you're just outside New York City, which is a, a big beast of a city. It's uh, probably a center of a lot of these things that, you, that you're not into. Do you find then as a musician, because I mean, me and Andre talk about this sometimes about how trying to work as a musician, we both live in London, it's a big busy city. And just even being part of that kind of uh, daily routine of London, getting the tube and doing this can really wear you out as a musician. Um, do you do you find you have to do you have any tips for kind of recharging your batteries? Do you, do you take big breaks away from New York to kind of look inwards, as you say? Do you, do you have uh, kind of routines or methods to kind of help that side of creativity? Well, I live outside of New York. I live in a very quiet place. I have trees in my garden. Okay. I'm isolated. I like to be alone. Okay. Yeah. I like yeah. my solitude. So when I go to New York, I leave my house. I, I go on Sunday nights to play. I leave at 7 p.m. I arrive. It's like 8, 8.30. Hmm. And I start playing at 9. And as soon as I'm done, I take my stuff. I go in my car and I go home. You go home. Yeah. I, flee, I flee the cities. Yeah. I'm not a city person. I don't like cities. No. I like the... I like the trees, I like birds, I like little insects and stuff. Of course, I like people and I love to play concert. I think it's a great moment of celebration. Mm. Like each concert is like a, that's why I don't like that playing online, you know? Like right now, they are like shooting our concerts online. I don't like that. No. I want it to be lost. Mm. I don't record it. I don't want to record. I don't want to be seen on, I just want to play for the people who are there. And I want it to be lost. Yeah. And, and, and because that keeps it a special one-off event. I because say, it's one. You were there. Great. You were not. Yeah. Hey, you were not. You heard of it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's fine. You know, there will be other concerts and each one is different. Mm -hmm. Each one. And each time it's a celebration. That's why I like to, to meet people in that, um, in that context. You know, it's always a celebration. When I have my students, it's a celebration too. I see my student, it's a celebration of something. It's important. It's not nothing, you know? So if I meet with someone, it's to be to have something important. It's just to sit and drink and talk about shallow things. You know, I don't care about that. I'd rather be practicing and, and reading Play-Doh, mm. you know? Yeah. So 
it's more about everything that happened must be a celebration. It so, must be like important. Which is super cool. Which is amazing. And so, so tell me this then, from your perspective, which is absolutely fascinating. I'm really enjoying listening to it. Um, what advice would you have to, let's say, a young musician in his teens or her teens? Um, they're about to finish school uh, and they're really, they're haunted by the music. And maybe they're thinking, maybe I'll go to university and maybe I'll become a teacher. What, what would your advice be uh, to somebody that age discovering their, their haunt, as you call it? You know, I don't think I can give anyone any advice on mm. their life. Okay. Everyone has to do their, their own thing, you know? Um, so I can just speak for myself. I don't know about the others. Okay, so, uh, well, let me flip that then. What advice would you give to yourself of that age, knowing what you know now? Because that's you, so you can give him some advice. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's just a path, you know? It's just a path. So whatever you do has to be. You know, what I did must have been done. Okay. So, for example, right now, like, my whole thing is trying to simplify everything. Hmm. Work against every, everything that's been poured into my mind. And also the comprehension about what means classical and what means folk. And what, you see, Nietzsche in Zarathustra, Nietzsche in spoke Zarathustra, he says that the state is the coldest monster of all monsters. And the state is all lies and deceit. Whatever it says, it didn't create anything. And it's all lies and appropriation. And it's a monster. It's a total, complete monster. And that people create people. It's, it's good. It's, it's, Nietzsche is, is, radi is radical. You know, He separates uh, the good from the bad, like the subtle from the gross, which is like violent. You know, it's yeah, just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very clear, you know, you have to accept Nietzsche because Nietzsche, Nietzsche is the truth. Nietzsche is the truth, but it's not for everyone. The truth is, is hard to bear because of our moral, the moral weight that is on our shoulders, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, but people create people. And you see, like, if you look before the recording industry arrived, like you look 100 years ago, everywhere in the world, there is music. It accompanies the human experience. It's a funny thing. You go to, I don't know, you go to Benin in a small village, you're gonna have a one way of playing the music, you know, like mm. with certain drums, certain string instrument. I don't know, you know, you go to Morocco, you have those people playing the Gnawa, you know, for like 12 hours trying to reach their demons. And yeah. then you have, you go to Ireland and people have been playing like the Irish music and the Celtic stuff for like hundreds of years, you know, and you have a beer and there is a vibe, you know yeah, what I mean? Man. That thing that's there. So music always scores life, you know, it scores something that makes you alive, you know. That doesn't mean that the life in the Benin village or the life in an Irish pub one is superior to the other, one yeah, is inferior to the other. One is, it's just, it is. And it's a very alive experience. Organic almost, yeah. And we, we, we all go through that. We all, every human being has religious experience. We cannot escape it. You can't escape the religious experience. Mm. So everyone has a religious experience. Everyone has an artistic experience. Everyone has a love experience. 
Everyone has a dream experience. We're all the same. It's all the same, except because we are not in contact, we're all far. So many things are born between the Chinese theater and the, the, the music in Cuba. There is like, it's completely different, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's because people took the same thing and did something completely different with it. But now if you start, they start to meet and do something in common and it becomes the norm that everything is always in common. That becomes a, a one thing that is a bit of this, a bit of that. And that doesn't have much um, differences anymore. You know, mm. the more there's differences, the more you have like, strong colors and stuff and things that are vibrant and interacting with each other. Mm. Yeah, going back to the label of Gypsy Jazz, this is another simil- similarity I can see. Um, now Gypsy Jazz essentially is is playing like Stockler Rosenberg from the 80s. But then when you get to know Gypsy Jazz, you see that there's so many different roots. There's uh, folk music from different parts of Europe. There's French music. There's obviously jazz, swing. Uh, there's the jungle way. So it, it's, for instance, that label, it, it, seem, it seems to be very strict in terms of inspiration and music and references. In reality, it's just a little access to like a whole world of sounds that you can explore further. So I, I pretty much agree with the fact that we, we are, with all these labels, we are losing freedom of discovering new things. Just Whenever in- you put the label, you give birth to a priest. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You, there's, so many, there's, a, there's a right and a wrong as soon as you... And it's exactly what Nietzsche warns us about is the priests. In his book, The Antichrist, it's not an apology of, of Satan, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Um, because I believe that um, no one was more Christian than Nietzsche and no one was closer to God than Nietzsche. Mm. But he shows you how people manipulate an environment to make it theirs and to place themselves politically to control this little environment. Mm. I see it in the so-called gypsy jazz world. I see people placing themselves, controlling the communication, and controlling the, the narrative between mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So they make people believe that there is a thing called gypsy jazz mm-hmm. and they keep them in it, you know what I mean? And of course, we as people are looking for that community thing you're talking about. We are. We want to gather together. That's our nature. We want to be together. It's so important. You want to do that. But in the same time, that's manipulated by a category that uh, Nietzsche calls the priests, mm. you know? And I can see it, I see how it's done and I know who manipulates the language. So you have many people, a lot of people, 99% of the people go in to be as a community and play something they think sounds good and they want to gather together. But then the, the whole thing is manipulated by a few people that are killing it mm. because they are making theirs instead of like, it's just music, man. There's yeah, no yeah, thing yeah. as we don't care about like what shoes you wear and what guitar you have and how you hold your you have to do whatever you want, man. Whatever music pleases you is what you should play. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I think that is a really nice place to uh, to finish it off. Um dude, that was loads of fun. I really, really enjoyed that, man. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
Yeah, no worries. And Andrea, uh, I'll see okay. you see you tomorrow, I think, Andrea. See you tomorrow, yes. Yeah, I guess I'll see you both tomorrow, actually. Ah, perfect. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> wicked. All right, thanks for tuning in, everyone. I really hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, thanks again. Lads, take it easy. Nice to talk to you, man. Thanks. Goodbye.